Good morning. I'll tell you what, there's probably not a, a happier drummer than we have in Jeremy Burnham. I love that guy. I love watching him play and doing um, the things that he is so gifted to do. Thank you. You blessed me this morning just with a smile on your face. Uh, I'm Nick Crawford. I, I thank you, Robert, for the good uh, introduction so um, that I don't have to repeat it. Um, I'm the community group pastor here at Fondren. Um, I'm a decent gift giver, but I'm a bad gift receiver. Now you know something about me. So Robert came to me this week or last week and asked me to preach on this Sunday. And I said, sure, absolutely. I, I would love to, be honored to. And he said, okay, I got something for you. I said, hit me. He said, I got a sermon. I got a sermon title for you. All I want for Christmas. I said, okay, all right, I like that. All I want for Christmas. I said, anything else? You got anything else for me? How about a passage? Maybe a few verses to pull? For? What about a particular thread that you'd like me to try to weave through? And he said, no, that's it. I said, that's it? That's it. Okay. All right. Okay, Robert, I'll, I'll do my best. So I left. I left thinking, okay, all I want for Christmas. All I want for Christmas. What do I want for Christmas? What do I want for Christmas, five words. I've prayed over these words. I've wrestled with these words. All I want for Christmas. The phrase is unbounded. It's limitless. It's open-ended. And the more I thought about it, <laughs> the angrier I got at Robert. <laughs> I'm kidding. I didn't get mad at Robert. I'm, I'm not mad at Robert. Now, the more I thought about the phrase, the more the cry behind it came to the surface. And the more I played it over in my mind, the louder that cry got. You see, this phrase does not send the mind to the laundry list of things that we want at the moment, but rather it sends the mind to the one thing that we want above all else. This phrase, these five words are not about consuming. These, this phrase, these five words are about receiving. You see, because I bet if you could go out and buy the one thing you wanted, Above all else for Christmas, I bet it would already be underneath the tree. All I want for Christmas. What's the one thing you want this year above all else? What are you longing for? It's a good question. It's a good question at Advent, the season of longing and expectation. What do you want for Christmas? And this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Christmas is next. Christmas is knocking on the door. So take a trip with me. Come on. Let's go back and let's open the door. Let's receive Christmas this year. Come back with me. Let's think back to Christmas, Christmas time when you were a kid. Let's think back. I bet you were told the story. I bet you were told that you were either naughty or you were nice. And if you were nice and believed, you could wake up and receive. But if you were naughty, if you were naughty, you were ineligible to receive the gifts. Yeah, you were either naughty or you were nice. But if you were naughty, you weren't eligible to receive. You got something like a lump of coal or switches and ashes or something like that. Does anybody remember the story? Me and my childhood buddies were told the same story. But it's funny. Do you know what? None of us, not one of us, ever received switches and ashes. No, we always woke up and we received. You see, Christmas was the best time of the year because we believed in miracles. We could, because we believed in miracles, we could receive. But we grew up. We went to school. We got out, started paying taxes, and something happened. 
Something happened. We stopped believing in that old story. That story became too good to be true. You see, over the course of the years, we'd all done wrong, and we'd all been wrong, so we knew that we belonged on the naughty list. And that's the reality of the matter. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all belong on the naughty list. But what if I told you that that old story was true? Would you believe? What if I told you that if you still believed in miracles, if you believed in the gift of Christmas, that you could be taken from that naughty list and placed on the nice list for real? Could you believe? I think so. I think you would. We all want to believe, don't we? We all want to believe. So I don't think the problem lies with our believing. I think the problem lies with our receiving. How do you receive the gift of Christmas? How can you receive the gift of Christmas when you've been so bad and so undeserving? That's the question. That is the all-important question. Well, be in Matthew chapter 1 this morning, verses 18 to 25. We'll go ahead and put it up. You guys can turn there if you like. I'll set it up by way of a little background. This is Matthew's gospel. Matthew, let's meet that man. Matthew was a greedy, despised tax collector before Jesus invited him to his 12-person community group. Matthew grew up Jewish, and this had a huge impact on how he viewed the world. You see, Matthew was committed to the law of Moses. His gospel is unique because of it. In fact, he quotes directly to the Old Testament over 60 times, more than double any of the other gospels. Now, Matthew's own life had been transformed by Christ, so he wanted all of the others that he was writing to uh, to share in that same relationship. And the people that he wrote to were very similar to him. Most think that he wrote the gospel to the church at Antioch in Syria, which was loaded with Jews and Jewish Christians. So Matthew goes way out of his way to announce to these Jews that Jesus is their long-awaited Savior. Not surprisingly, Matthew's gospel is placed first because it's the perfect segue between the Old and the New Testaments. You see, to Matthew, faith in Jesus did not mean abolishing the Old Testament, but instead it was the very goal of the Old Testament and all of the law and its prophecies. The reason that Matthew emphasizes the law so much is because that the law's demand requires the gift Grace is the very basis of Matthew's gospel. We can't keep the law, so we need the gift of grace, which God brought to the unworthy and to the needy. The only thing we have to do is learn how to receive it. For this reason, Matthew's account of the virgin birth is told through Joseph's perspective. By tagging Joseph as the main human actor in the story, Matthew stresses an active element in our response to the gospel. We have got to receive him. We have to. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Let's read it. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived from in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel had commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you're a God who gives. May this message be a gift to somebody today. May this message be received by somebody today. May we be more aware of your presence as we consider your word. May we receive you this morning. Amen. We need saving. That's why God gave us the gift of Christmas, and Matthew understood it. So he knew that we needed a lesson on how to receive it. But how can we possibly receive such a gift when we're so bad and so undeserving? Again, that's the question. How can you receive all you want for Christmas? To receive the gift of Christmas, you got to open your hands. You got to claim your real name, and you got to wake up from your sleep. To receive the gift of Christmas, open your hands. Let's look at verses 18 and 19 closely. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. you got to let go of whatever it is that you're holding on to so tightly. you got to open your hands to receive a gift, church. And this is what Matthew's saying. He's saying, this is how it happened. Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant during the betrothal period. Now, there were three stages to your typical marriage back there, back then. There was, at first, there was a contractual arrangement, usually negotiated by the parents. And the husband-to-be would typically give a gift. So Joseph, think about Joseph, he had likely invested financially in this relationship. After the contract came the betrothal period. The couple was considered married at this time, but they did not yet live together. Think engagement, engagement plus. Engagement plus a binding legal transaction that could not be severed unless by divorce or death. And the only ground for divorce back then was adultery, which happened to carry the death penalty by stoning under the law. Betrothal lasted for about a year. Then the husband would go to his bride-to-be's house, and if she was pure, he would lead her back in a grand processional march. Then the husband and wife would live together. They would consummate the marriage. This was the custom. So Joseph learned of the pregnancy during the one-year betrothal period, after he'd made an investment and after he had cultivated some strong feelings for her. To the younger generation, after they had DTR'd, after they had formally defined the relationship. Now, Joseph loved Mary, even though he was hurt by what he thought was undeniable adultery. His immediate response was to divorce her quietly. He didn't want to put her to shame and not shame in public, and he didn't want to risk her being stoned to death. So you may be wondering, if this guy loved her so much, why didn't he decide to divorce her in the first place? Here we go. 
Joseph was a just man. The word there is dikaios. Matthew uses this word 17 times more than any of the other three Gospels combined. The word refers to conduct that is in accordance with the law. Joseph was a strict observer of the law. He would not marry her because he could not let it go that she had broken the law. He made his decision out of a deep religious conviction. It was his obligation to divorce her. Further, if he had gone along with it, if he had married her, the public would have assumed that this just man was complicit in her crime and hence no longer just. Now, a man of the law would naturally confront the accused. So Joseph had a conversation with Mary, asking her what the deal was. And verse 19 tells us that he found out that she was with child from the Holy Spirit, a gift presented to his house. But this just man of the law intended to maintain his personal righteousness. He was holding on tightly to the law, and he couldn't let it go, so he could not receive the gift. I can relate. I grew up in a church. I grew up in a church that's steeped in religion and tradition, where if you weren't careful, your works and your deeds could overshadow the grace that you needed. You see, the law mattered, and so I knew the guilt that came with it. I was born in that church, as was my dad, as was his dad, and I'm sure so on and down the line until we got off the boat. And I also went through the steps to become a full-fledged member of that church. Man, I grew up in that church, went to Sunday school, served. My favorite preacher even told me that he thought I would be a preacher one day. Crazy. I belonged to that church. That's who I was. But truth is, I only identified myself with it. I didn't really understand the faith. To me, in my little mind, I was either good for nothing or guilty for something. But I held on. I was proud of my church. Look, I love and I respect my family. But my family's faith was no longer the faith for me. It was a hard decision to leave that church, especially because I identified with it so much. I agonized over telling my dad about my decision. It's hard for me still. But I'll tell you what, when I went along with it, when I let go of all the guilt, all the legalism, all the stuff that was holding me back, I received grace. My family was oh so gracious to me. And because of that grace, I grew. I grew exponentially. You see, you may not know this about me, but I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior not very long ago, September 18th, 2009. So I stand before you from the pulpit as a six-year-old Christian. Man, a six-year-old Christian. So... Even though I have much to learn and much room to grow, I can tell you from personal experience that when you do let go, when you open your hands to the Savior, you will grow because you will have received him. Church, the key to receiving any gift is to open your hands. The gift of grace is no different. So to receive it, just open up your hands to Christ. You see, open hands are a sign of trust. You don't open your hands to somebody you don't trust. 
There's a trusting and there's a believing and there's also a turning. Notice, open your hands to Christ, not from him. There's a believing, a trusting, and a turning. If you do these two things, you will receive him. And there is goodness in that. Look, Joseph thought he only had two options. Divorce Mary quietly or have her stoned to death. But God supplied a third option. When Joseph let go of the law, the law that he was holding on so, to so tightly to, God supplied another option. Oftentimes, God shows us that there are more options available than we can see. We need to open our minds, and we need to open our hands to receive a better way. To receive the gift of Christmas, open your hands. And the funny thing is, when you do, you let go of everything else that does not matter. Open your hands. Second, to receive the gift of Christmas, you got to claim your name. Let's look at verses 20 through 23. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the prophet had spoken. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Look, you've got to know who you really are. You have got to know who you really are. You've got to come to the realization that you are, in fact, good enough to receive a good gift. I love how Joseph slept on it. He did jump to a conclusion, let's be clear. He jumped to a conclusion, but he didn't divorce Mary impulsively. He was concerned for his reputation, probably out a little money. He felt like he'd been cheated and lied to. He was hurt, but he was deliberate. He thought it through. And during this time of contemplation, Joseph received a word. He received a gift. Again, the same gift, though. The angel of the Lord did not tell him anything he didn't already know. Remember, verse 19 told us that he found out the child was from the Holy Spirit. But look how the gift was addressed this time. It was gift wrapped, had a little name tag on it, which read, Joseph, son of David. Who was Joseph? Who was he? We all know. He was a carpenter. He was poor. He lived smack dab in the middle of nowhere. Joseph was a nobody. But this gift here was not addressed to a nobody. It was, it was not addressed to the man who Joseph thought he was, but rather to the man that God thought he was. He was Joseph, son of David, no longer a carpenter. Joseph was a prince. Now, remember Matthew's audience, mostly Jewish, like Joseph, mostly aware of the law and their inability to keep it. So having elevated Joseph to a man who was supposed to receive the gift, Matthew now turns to focus his attention on the gift itself. The gift has two names. One reveals his purpose. The other reveals his identity. Both are equally important because you cannot receive the full gift until you receive Christ fully. His purpose. You ready for this? His purpose. Jesus. Jesus is his purpose. The boy's name is to be Jesus. Jesus 
is the Greek rendering for the, name, for the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. Joshua was Israel's great general who led his people into the promised land. But since then, salvation has changed big time. Joshua saved Israel from its enemies. Jesus will save his people from, his, from their sins. Matthew's gospel is grounded in the gift of grace. His gospel is not about a law. His gospel is about a man who saved the people who could not keep the law. His identity. He is God. He is Emmanuel. Emmanuel is his identity. In Hebrew, Emmanuel means with us. And El is shorthand for God. Put the two together and you have his identity. God with us. Verse 23. Let's look there. It's a promise. It's a direct quote from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. Now this word came to Israel some 700 years before. And from that point on, the Israelites were looking forward to a Messiah. Talk about a long Advent season. And in that promise, we have an often overlooked characteristic of our Savior. He is God and He is man. He's man. Now with Isaiah 7, 14, Matthew transports us to the Old Testament. Think Old, Old Testament, Genesis, Genesis 3, the fall. Who was to crush sin? Who was to crush the serpent? Genesis 3.15 tells us that it was the seed of woman. So in other words, not the seed of any man. Why is this important? Why is the virgin birth so important to our faith? Christ had to be free. He had to be free from the sinful nature that was passed on to all of us by Adam. So because Jesus was born of a woman, he was a human being. He was with us. He was a man. He hurt. He hungered. He felt pain, just like us. But he was also God. As the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus was born free from the stain of sin. Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. You see, Christ could not be he who knew no sin if he was conceived in it. His birth had to be pure and spotless. If God had not been Emmanuel, God with us, he could not have been Jesus, a Savior. So Matthew points out two names for Christ. Jesus is his purpose. Emmanuel, his identity. The God who saves is the same person as the God with us. He is God and he is man. A poor carpenter couldn't receive such a gift. No, 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 no. But a prince could. Joseph had to claim his real name to receive that gift. I knew a guy who had a chance to play baseball at the next level, the professional level, and he said no. I often wondered why. You see, he was a pretty good player. He was a slick fielder, could run like the wind. He's a tough guy. Uh, most interesting thing about him, I think, was how he cared about his team, his leadership. Uh, you see, oftentimes when his team was in a pinch, they would look to him uh, to rally the troops. And that's what he would do. That was kind of his role on the team. He would rally the troops when they were down and out. He was the guy that could not accept defeat until the game was absolutely over with. He had what they called the it factor. You know this? Gatorade makes commercials about it. If it's in you, it is. If it's not, it's not. He had the it factor, the thing that moved you beyond your normal skill set to things that were better than who you could be. But you know why he declined the offer? 
That's not how he saw himself. He wasn't the best player on the team, far from it. He didn't view himself as good enough or deserving enough to say yes to that offer. He thought that the more talented guys on his team deserved that chance. You want to know who the guy in the story is? It's me. It's me. Five foot nothing, a hundred nothing. Nick Crawford, community group pastor. It's true. I had a chance to play professional baseball for the St. Louis Cardinals organization. And I said no. I politely declined. Now, now don't confuse the story. I don't want you to think that, I was, that I'm boasting. I don't want you to think that I'm somehow trapped in the glory days because I'm not. I don't regret the decision. I used to, but I don't anymore. You see, my no was a, was a good thing. God does work all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called to his purpose. I believe that because my no kept me in Jackson. It kept me in school where I met a girl who eventually took me to a certain church where I met a certain bald and preacher with a red goatee who I eventually followed down the street a little bit to this place where I got plugged in and started serving. And you know what? The next time I got an offer to, receive, to start playing at the next level, I said yes. And here I am, despite where I've been and in spite of how I often view myself as unworthy, not good enough, and unqualified, here I am choosing to see myself as he sees me, able, worthy, and valued because of a gift he gave me and a gift I did receive. Church, you will never be able to fully receive the gift that he has given you until you see yourself as he sees you. If you're like I was, you will waste a lot of time struggling with the idea that you're not good enough to take from his hand. That is a lie. Do not buy it. Why is it so hard for us poor folks to receive good gifts? Those of us who are broken and guilty and feel the weight of it. Why is receiving a gift so hard for us? It's like we have to return a gift for a gift. You give me one, i got to give you one that's the exact same value. Why is that? I've always wondered that. But the gift of Christmas is different. You can't pay it back no matter how hard you try. It's a gift that you cannot repay. You can only receive that gift. When we feel unworthy, not good enough, what are we really doing? When we allow those worthless thoughts to roll through our minds, what are we really doing? We're engaging in the combat of comparison. And let me tell you what, that is a losing battle. You will never, ever win that battle. When you say to yourself, I'm not good enough to get this or that, what you're really saying is that there's somebody out there who is good enough to receive this or that, and that someone ain't me. There's always someone better than you. Someone better looking, more driven, better job, better record. Someone with more stuff, the cool house with 2.5 kids, a white picket fence, and a large front porch. I mean, am I right? There's always somebody out there better than you, whether it's in real life or in your mind's eye. So stop it. Stop it. Stop comparing yourself to others. That's the root of the problem here. Joseph was a poor carpenter who worked with his hands in the middle of nowhere, but he was reminded of a princely title, a title that he received and he shared with the Messiah. And guess what? So do you. If you've received Christ as your Savior, you have been adopted into his family. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. You are in the royal family. 
You're not a nobody. To receive the gift of Christmas, you got to know that you are somebody to someone. Israel had waited for him for over 700 years. That's what they wanted for Christmas. Is that who you want for Christmas? Are you expecting his arrival? Could you? That's what Advent's all about. Could you let that expectation turn into overwhelming joy? This Christmas, I want you to remember exactly who it was in the manger. I want you to consider the miracle of the manger. That little baby is Jesus. He's God's salvation. That little baby is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And it's so interesting to me that Matthew chooses to begin his gospel with Emmanuel, God with us. Because that's how he ends his gospel, too, with the Great Commission. When he quotes Jesus as saying, Behold, I will be with you. Church, he valued you so much that he purchased you with a very steep price. Don't devalue his gift by refusing to accept it on account of some perceived unworthiness. You are good enough. Claim your name in Christ. Lastly, to receive the gift of Christmas, you got to wake up. Look at verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to his son. And he called his name Jesus you got to wake up from your spiritual slumber to recognize the gift. Remember, Jesus didn't, Joseph didn't receive the gift right away. Let's be honest. He made plans to throw it away. Then he woke up. The word Matthew uses here for sleep is hypnos. It literally means sleep, but it carries an interesting implication. It's used to describe a slumbering state of the soul. In fact, it's the same word that Luke uses in chapter 9, verse 32, when he describes Peter, John, and James when they were heavy with sleep while Jesus was being transfigured right before them. And when they woke up, they beheld his glory. It's also the same word Paul uses in Romans 13, 11, when he urges us to wake from our slumber because salvation is near. When Joseph woke up, he acted. He took his wife and he named the child. This is significant. Remember, Matthew's writing to the Jews, so the prophecies must be fulfilled for them to believe. You see, Jesus had to be recognized as Joseph's son. Otherwise, Christ wouldn't come from the son of David. So by marrying her and naming the child, this just man of the law violated a custom. He violated the one-year betrothal period a little early, and he was saying that this is my boy, this is my son. He has every right to take what I have, which importantly was an inheritance. All this ensured that Jesus would be his legitimate son. Jesus became his legally adopted son. And so Jesus became the legal heir to the throne of David, fulfilling the prophecies about the Messiah. The best gifts are be with gifts. When I was a kid at Christmas, probably like you, my parents told me to believe and go to sleep. And when I woke up, I could receive some gifts. One gift comes to mind in particular. It was a gift my granddaddy gave me. It was a pocket knife. This is not the pocket knife. His pocket knife was much too precious for me to risk losing, so it's locked in a fireproof safe at my house. But he gave me a pocket knife. He gave me a pocket knife. Granddaddy gave me the pocket knife because he knew that I'd use it with him. He knew that it would give him opportunities to teach me things as I did. And because it was a gift that I used with him, it was a gift that kept on giving. 
As I sat on his front porch swing, whittling sticks with him, I gleaned so much wisdom from that man. A lot of tenets of the faith that I still cling to today. You see, he didn't give me the knife to intending for me to use it by myself. He gave it to me because he knew I would use it with him. And he knew that the more I used it with him, the more that I would like to be with him. And the more that I like to be with him, the more I would become like him. Are you with Jesus? And if so, do you like being with him? The answer to both of these questions is to wake up. Some of us are sleepwalking. We've been sleepwalking way too long. We are so busy that we are sleepwalking and we're missing the things of the Spirit. There are gifts literally all around us that we miss. We've got to wake up. When Joseph woke up, he sprung to action. And he did so in spite of what others would think of him. Joseph cared more about Christ's reputation than his own. Sometimes we avoid doing the right thing because of what others might think of us. Now, Joseph called him Jesus, the Savior. So we got to do the same thing. We got to call him Jesus, our Savior. That's how we have to receive Jesus. When you do, he comes to be with you. And trust me, the more you get with him in his word, the more you will like being with him. And the more time you spend with him, the more you will become like him. Church, the gift of Christmas is a be with gift. Even if Christmas is a lonely time for you, you're not alone. O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. But if you don't arise from your spiritual slumber, you might miss the gift. Wake up. So, all I want for Christmas, all I want for Christmas, what do you want? In a room this size, man, it could be anything. I bet it could be rest, peace, hope, joy, love, happiness, whatever. It could be anything. But the gift of Christmas promises all of that, all of that and then some. There is no greater gift than the one that he gave us himself, a Savior, God with us. He delivers you from your longing. So if it's rest you want this Christmas, he delivers you from your weariness and he gives you rest. Remember, his burden is light and his yoke is easy. If it's joy you want this Christmas, he delivers you from your sadness and your mourning turns to dancing. We sang about that earlier. If it's love or community you want this Christmas, he delivers you from your loneliness and he comes to be with you. God was a human and thankfully so. Because whatever it is that you're walking through right now, that man already went there before you. Could you receive him this Christmas? Church, we exist in the space between what is and what could be. You believe in an extraordinary God who saves. So imagine what Christmas could look like in this place if we got back to believing, if we got back to believing in the miracle of Christmas. We'd be his children. We'd start dreaming like his children. No longer will we see color or status, but only people with potential, potential to receive a gift just like you. Imagine what could be, what would be, if we moved as a community of his children. Imagine the possibility if we stopped dwelling on what is and got back to dwelling on what could be. Imagine what could happen if we truly received the gift of Christmas. So open your hands. Let go of whatever it is that's been holding you back. Just drop it. It's ungodly and unworthy of the title he's given you. Claim your real name. If you've received him, you're not ordinary. 
No matter your circumstances, you belong in the royal family. Wake up. We've been sleepwalking far too long. Wake up and take action. Could you do these three things? Could you? Could you receive the gift of Christmas, the gift that you've been longing for? Could you make this Advent the season when you receive the gift of Christmas in its entirety? Let's pray.